Take those monies and spread across families. My sister Hattie and Lou, the nephews, cousins, and TT. Eric, the rest of B for whatever she wants to do. She might start an institute. She might put poor kids in school. My stake in Rock Nation should go to you. Leave a piece for your siblings to give to their children too. Title the champagne. Do say I like to see a nice piece, fund ideas for people who look like we. We gon' start a society within society. That's major. It's like the Negro League. It was a time America wouldn't let us fall. All right, welcome back to the Create Your Own Lane podcast. I, uh, I say this very often, but this guest I'm really excited to, to have on. Uh, we have the head men's basketball coach at Tennessee State University, Brian, Brian Penny Collins. Penny, how you doing, my man? How has this, uh, this time been for you just during this transition of being home to now being back on campus? Your guys are coming back, classes I'm sure are starting or have started, but just how's that transition been for you? It's been crazy. I mean, that's the only word I can think of. It's been, everybody keeps saying unprecedented times. It really is, you know, it's, I feel like I'm living in a movie right now, Walking Dead or some type of quarantine movie where, uh, you know, a contagion type movie, you know, every, every move we make, is delicate and important and you know the wearing the mask and social distancing and washing hands it's been a it's been a whirlwind man and you know uh, just trying to get these guys back on campus and moving around safe and you know it's, it's one of those things when you're a coach when you tell your players what to do you can pretty much hang your hat on that if you do these things you're going to be all right in life you know what i'm saying you can guarantee them that they're going to be successful if they follow this blueprint well in, this, in the times that we're in right now, we're giving them a blueprint and we can't guarantee them nothing. Yeah. I cannot guarantee you, you won't get COVID. Yeah. I can't guarantee you, you won't get sick. Yeah. So uh, that's, been a, that's been a tough um, pill to swallow and losing sleep over it. But all we can do is continue to preach the gospel to these young men, hope they're disciplined enough to, to do what we're asking them to do. But uh, that, that's what's going on in my world. Well, I appreciate you sharing, man. And that's kind of why I wanted to create this episode and very blessed to have you on. You know, I get very commonly, you know, how, especially I get this from my mom as well. She's like, how you doing? You know, how, how you leading your program during this time? And, you know, I don't think you really understand just the inside look on leadership right now during a very uncertain time. And then you add to that, that we're leading 18 to 22 year olds who are constantly, uh, you know, having things that can distract them and, and just a lot, you know, that, that could, that could be handled on their end. So I'm excited to get you on. I think this is really going to impact not just coaches, but anybody that hits play on this and, and listens all the way through. So I appreciate your time, man, and, and excited to, to dive into this with you. Um, but let's hit here for context for people um, before we get into the, the content, but you've had a successful playing career at high school, you played at Belmont, and then you played professionally. I always love to hear coaches' stories, especially because, you know, yours is kind of similar to mine, starting from the bottom, you know, to kind of get into where you are. But just give our listeners just some insight on your journey uh, to now being, a, now being a head Division One coach. I mean, you know, it was a, you know, I'm coach's son, so I've been around the game my whole life. You know, I'm, I've never not had basketball in my mind, but it also was never forced on me. 
always begged my dad to go to practices with him and just kind of fell in love with the game at an early age. Always was has been a young historian of the game too. You know, I always would watch the older guys play and the legends of the game. And so uh, going through high school and college, uh, I never really thought I wanted to be a coach until about my senior year of college. And, uh, but everybody wants to make it to the highest level playing the NBA. So I did have the opportunity to play in the developmental league, which was cool and, uh, and play overseas. But I, I got granted the opportunity to get into coaching and that was that was a, a tough decision to make to give up playing professionally, but it was it ended up being a really good decision. Obviously, looking at the path that it got me on, so um, I'm just blessed to be here in, in this position. It has been a long road, like you said. Uh, I was I was I went from a GA at Tennessee State to 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 becoming a head coach at the same institution where I started. So I'm going into year 14, and just gonna keep plugging away. No, that's good, man. I think. Young coaches, you know, I, I talk to a lot of guys and I think you hit on a meeting we had a couple of weeks ago about just pouring back in. You know, everybody forgets about that valley part of the journey. Everybody's excited about the peak, but the valleys are really where you're getting better. You're learning how to put together a good scout report. You're learning how to work guys out and all these things that add to your philosophy. So, you know, great story, man. I, I challenge anybody. Um, you know, to really research people that, that you look up to in this business to learn their journey. Uh, this next piece here, Penny, uh, social media is a strong platform that if used correctly, uh, it can be an out to touch the world. And I think that's what's kind of connected us, you know, with this group, Embrace Us. And I kind of want to give a platform for you to talk about that. Um, you know, you don't have to get into great context however you want to, but uh, I think when people see Embrace Us, they need to understand what that means. It's not just something that pops up or it's a hashtag or a graphic. Um, and every time I leave those meetings, I'm, I'm fired up to to do something. You know, maybe it's you talking, man. I should come play for you. But, <laughs> but uh, I want people to really understand when they when they see that on social media, just what's it about, where it came from. Uh, there's a lot of names that, that, are, that are pouring into it. Um, dip into that however you want to, but just really want people to understand what that means. Well, I'll tell you what, Mo, is uh, I'm glad you're asking me and, you know, I've never talked, this is going to be my first time talking about Embrace Us publicly. So there you go. You know what I mean? If, you, if your podcast gets one more listener because of this, <laughs> so be it. But yeah, uh, this is going to be my first time talking about Embrace Us to the public. We We have done a great job of building our organization up to where it is. But basically where it came from was, man, I've been working on Embrace Us for two years. And uh, originally in my mind, I, I, I was motivated and inspired by the John Thompson's and Nola Richardson's, the John Chaney's of the world in the Black Coaches Association that existed back in the 90s and late 80s and early 90s and the power that they had and the things that they were doing and, and uh, the change they were creating uh, at a time where it wasn't many of us in those seats. And then what those guys did was they created, they were winning national championships, they were winning games, they were you know, creating pros. And, and really it started to create a bunch of new African-American head coaches. Like there was a, there was a power tier and there, were lead, there was leadership in, in African-American coaching ranks uh, that provided more hiring of African-American coaches. So that's what initially inspired me about Embrace Us. And then when I started looking at the numbers now about how we have around 96 head coaches out of 350 in Division One 
and it's even less in Division II once you go and go on, on down the ranks in college basketball. It was a, really alarming to me, and it was time for me to make my dreams that I had been thinking about and working on for two years. It's time for me to, to make it a reality. So I uh, reached out to four of the men who ended up being the uh, group that helped me start Embrace Us. But um, and, and turned, it turned from being an organization where uh, which was inspired by helping African-American coaches, it turned into how can we help change the narrative of all diverse people from black to, to women to black, brown, white, doesn't matter. So once we started talking about what, what do we wanted it to look like, we really felt strongly that it didn't need to be just African-American voices that were creating change. Right around the George Floyd incident, it was very evident that what's really sparked a whole entire world was that the white voices started to speak up. And it was powerful to see um, our other brothers in, in the world speak up for us. And when I saw that, I realized even it even became more clearer that Embrace Us needed to be a diverse group. You know, the Black Coach Association was all black. I mean, that's fine. And there's nothing against that. But I felt like Embrace Us would be, have opportunity to, to touch everyone. And obviously, our, our, our mission was to transform, empower, and promote the next whoever. At first, it was coaches. But now our organization has turned into, as you know, we, we had coaches, but we have ADs in our group. We have administrators in our group, athletic administrators. We have presidents. We have faculty uh, members, teachers from uh, different universities of higher education. We have search firms. We have MBA executives, chief of staffs from MBA teams, MBA scouts. You know, uh, we have, we even have uh, media people that are in our group that media really control the narrative of, what, of who you are. So we have a wide range of people in Embrace Us that I'm very excited about. Uh, some of the people in our group, I, I believe they're, they're going to be big time decision makers uh, in, in the sport world, you know, not just basketball and athletics. You know, you look at some of the guys in our group now, you, you, they, are, they may be where they are right now, whatever level they own. Can you, I can't imagine where they're going to be five years from now. And this group is going to be the group that's going to continue to create some change. And uh, we got some really good initiatives that we're working on. Um, very excited about the things we're going to attack from um, hiring practices to uh, police reform, uh, to mental health. And uh, the thing that's really special to me is going to be Embrace Us Next Up, where we're going to reach back to the next Mo Williams, the next Penny Collins, the next NBA chief of staff member, the next potential person that's going to be writing for the Washington Post. You know, uh, Embrace Us Next Up is going to be something that's going to live on forever. And I'm uh, very excited about the group. You know, I, you know, I know you've been in on all the meetings and I just love where we're going. And uh, I just can't even imagine the kind of change we're gonna make uh, one step at a time. We're not, gonna, we're not gonna sprint, we're gonna walk and make sure we get this thing done. No doubt, man. I, I appreciate your, your transparency and, uh, and saying that, man. I wasn't expecting even all that. So you, know, <laughs> you can give us a taste. You gave us the whole cake, but Again, yeah. I'm passionate about it, man, because I just want people to understand when you scroll through people, 
that are a part of this group on these panels, I don't want them to think that it's just some some type of hashtag or some movement. So I wanted to give a little just context for people that might see it but don't really know what it means. So I mm. appreciate you, uh, you know, sharing that, man. And, and I'm I'm blessed to be a part of it. I, I really appreciate it. And just love the the group. And you know, iron definitely sharpens iron in that group. So I'm I'm very fortunate to be in it. Uh, but let's hit these uh, these topics again. You know, my, my topic for this podcast is is coaching during COVID-19. Uh, and really what we want to give here is just an inside look into both our programs, both our leadership right now, uh, and, and just give uh, perspective on just current issues and things that are going on in the world right now. So, you know, Penny, as we dive into this, I, I got, you know, words that will lead to questions and uh, there's three of them that we're going to hit. And then, you know, we're, I know that the, the Lord will lead us and, and knock this out the park here. But the three words that I have, you know, for our leadership during this time is having vision, stance, and identity. And I want to hit that vision part first. You know, as I think about vision, there's an old movie. I know you've, you've heard of it, The Field of Dreams, where it talks about if you build it, they will come. And you know, one of the things that really connected me to you is everything you do has a vision to it. You know, I, I think visionary people are attracted to each other. And, and for this program, taking over this program, I was an assistant coach here and then, you know, got hired first head black uh, basketball coach here. You know, my vision is far beyond what's on these walls, on what's done here. It's an investment that each parent that drops these kids off we want to give them back better than they than they left them here. So, you know, obviously there's going to be parts of the basketball piece you and I both know, but the vision is, is giving them back to the world better than they, they came in here. So I want to, we're both going to answer this, but, you know, I, I know your vision because I've heard it and, and spoke with you and listened to some things, but, you know, what's your vision for your, for your program? I know that's a very general question, but let's kind of hit our programs here first, but What's your vision for, for TSU basketball uh, as, as you lead and talk to these recruits and even your current guys? Well, you know, you, you said something about being better than what they what they were when they dropped them off, man. That's kind of something I hang my hat on, too. Um, one of the books that I read probably when I first got into coaching was about John McClendon and his uh, career uh, in college basketball. You know, he, he learned the game under James Nesmith, the inventor of the game. And uh, he came to Tennessee State and took us to three straight national championships. And uh, he was the first African-American coach to coach pro sports, not basketball, to coach pro sports. And so um, he's, he, he was inducted into the, the National Basketball Hall of Fame, and his teams were inducted into the Hall of Fame this year. So um, one of the things that he, hung his, that he hung his hat on was, he, as a coach, he felt like he should be the difference between what they are and what they ought to be. And that was a very simple sentence. But that's something that I really, I really think about a lot. You know, when I talk to my young men, especially when we talk about things that are outside of basketball, I want to, when they leave here, I want them to look back and say, man, coach really sharpened me as a man. You know, he turned me into a person who I want to be. You know, I want to be a walking example of a father and a husband and a good person to them. You know, I want to show them, you know, if you're just a good person, which is our, 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 our thing is deserve to win. If you're a good person, then uh, you'll be successful in life no matter what you do. And all that stuff that happens off the court is a direct correlation to what goes on on the court. So um, from, a, from an individual standpoint, that's my goals. But the vision for our program is, you know, I, I want us to be ranked in the country. 
Uh, why can't Tennessee State be a program that's a perennial powerhouse in terms of going to the NCAA tournament every year? Uh, be a program that's that's pumping out guys. If, if their dream is to be a professional basketball player, why can't we be a factory of, of promoting that and getting guys to, to their dreams to be a professional? I also want to graduate every single player that comes through the program, which we've done in these two years. We've got a 100% graduation rate. So uh, whatever their dreams are, we want those dreams to come true. But in terms of basketball, man, we, we want to be a team that when you say Tennessee State, uh, that's somebody you don't want to play. Nah, I love that, man. As you were, were talking, you know, I think a vision for us, very similar things. Everybody wants to win. But, you know, I think the vision for me with these guys is, is keeping what we want them to be in front of them. And, you know, I go back to, you know, I remember the Space Jam, R. R Kelly, I believe I could fly. Uh, you know, that there's a line where it talks about if you can see it, you can do it. And mm -hmm. that's kind of how I lead, you know. So any part of our program, anything that I do, I understand that that's an opportunity to pour into their brains the, the bigger picture of where they are right now. You know, they need to see our culture, not just talk about it or hear me talk about it, but they need to see our culture. And then they need to see my leadership, you know. So I can't talk about being a father or a husband if I'm not doing that. Right. I'm not showing that the way the way it should be, you know. And then for us, man, we want to continue to win championships. And uh, my goal is to take it to the next level. You know, every sport here, um, you know, outside of basketball, has won a national championship. So for me, why can't we do that? You know, we beat the Division One program this year. Uh, we beat the number six team in the country this year, and it was my first year. Um, you know, so my thing is, and I'm banging my head on the wall before we talked. I'm sitting there looking at offenses and things, but you know how. How can we take that next step? You know, how can we be better than where we are and recruit these guys, uh, quote unquote, that are too good for our level? Uh, and it's really by just creating that vision and making sure they see it every day. Um, I want to hit this next thing too, man. And again, I think our historically black colleges get overlooked in many ways due to lack of education. And I think our level of basketball being a division three institution gets overlooked because of the lack of media attention. You know, like you might not even know that we beat a division one opponent. It wasn't on ESPN, but people knew me, they texted me, giving me love. And I'm like, first of all, it's the Lord and it's them players. You know, it ain't me, I didn't hit a shot. Uh, but I think you do an incredible job, man, of just educating people on the history of these places and especially TSU, you know, and, and I think uh, the young man, I hope I don't mess up his name, but uh, maker, maker. Uh, that's going to Howard, you know, I think that was huge. But uh, why should kids attend an historically black college? You know, I think they're, they're passing up to go to these other places. But, you know, I want to kind of give you that plug here as well from a vision standpoint about our HBCUs. Right. And, that, and that's the biggest thing for me, man, it's the education. Um, it just it makes my skin crawl when I hear kids say I'm not going, I'm better than HBCU or I'm not going there because I can't go pro from there or you know, you can't do something from here. That's the biggest fallacy that people are are saying. And it's being, it's being shoveled to them by their parents or superiors or their teachers or AU coaches or whoever, and a lot, or their friends, whoever it is. But that's the narrative that's out there that, you know, you know we're over here playing in swimming trunks and uh, non-reversible jerseys and, you know what I mean, just bad gear and, you know, our lights don't work and, you know, that's kind of the story that happens that's out there. Uh, we don't have books, you know, we got books from 1990s or something like we don't have updated 
and curriculums and all that stuff. So, you know, for me, man, I've been on a soap, my soapbox about HBCUs in terms of the amount of professionals that we've pumped out of here. Uh, and I'm not talking about just athletics, you know, Oprah Winfrey, the probably most influential African-American woman in the world is a HBCU grad, you know, <laughs> and then not to mention all the other doctors and lawyers and scientists that we've created. Over 75% of all those teachers, principals, police officers, whoever, over 70 medical field people, over 75% of the African-Americans that work in those fields come from HBCUs. Uh, so, you know, that, that's one of the things I really, really try to sell. You know, we've had over 20 draft picks come from Tennessee State, which is more than a lot of Power 5 programs. You know, uh, I'm not going to name drop anybody, but I could, give, I could say, I could ask a young man uh, if his goal is to be an NBA player, do you have a better chance of going to the NBA from school A or school B? And school A is a quote unquote power five school or PWI institution that plays on TV more. And they would say school A over, over HBCU. And then when I tell them that we've had over 20 draft picks and that school's only had two, they like, what? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, the history, the history of the HBCUs is uh, amazing. And uh, I, I think it's still funny that, our, that there's a large part of, uh, of America they don't, they still doesn't even know what an HBCU is, you know? And even when you tell them, they say, I can't believe y'all, y'all are allowed to have all black schools. It's not, it's, it's not an all black school. It's a historically black university, but we have a very diverse campus. You know what I'm saying? As a matter of fact, I would be, you know, I'm probably almost hundred percent positive. I'm a hundred percent positive that there's not one HBCU that is all black. You know what I mean? So, so uh, just like their PWIs are not all white. So, um, you know, this, it's the education, man, just to get the, get, getting these kids to understand the history of HBCU. And it, the, the campuses are different. It is a different vibe. It is a different feel. It's a different family atmosphere um, that you're going to experience uh, at HBCU. Yeah, no, that's good, man. I, I think we're, we're all called, and, uh, you know, you kind of shared that, to, to be a light in dark places. And something I share with kids at our level, uh, you know, I get it. No, no kid is waking up and saying they want to come here or, or sometimes in your, in your situation. Uh, but I tell guys all the time, you know, just my experience in doing this, I've never seen a kid make this decision going from high school to college wrong when they looked at it this way. If you weren't playing basketball there, would you still go to school there? Right. When you see kids make the mistake is, man, well, you know, they got this gear here, or you're hitting the pro stuff. Like, you and I both know, man, that's, that's about two, four hours, maybe six hours of your day. The other is being a student, eating there, uh, the community piece, all those things. And that transfer portal, you know, I, I was at the level, um, you know, that transfer portal just continues to just skyrocket because kids don't, they don't look at it that way. But I think it's the greatest advice that I've ever gotten and that I tell kids is if you weren't playing basketball there, would you still go to school there? Because the amount of hours that you're going to put in to that piece more than the hoops piece exactly. is going to determine whether that's the spot for you. And then you hit all the coaches and all those types of things. But yeah, man, I think that that's, that's what's going on in our game. And it's, it's crazy kids make these decisions. It, it, it is. It's sickening. And I, I, I'll tell you, this something that I've, I've picked up on here in the last 
month or so is that when these athletes are standing up on social justice and making their comments on social media about how they feel, the fan bases of these uh, quote unquote power five schools, um, and in some cases it's not power five schools, it's PWI schools, the fan base is just killing these kids for their, for their thoughts and their opinions. Mm-hmm. And it's alarming to me that, you know, they're showing their true colors, you know, and it's, it's one of those things that if you don't still don't understand the frustration that we're going through in black America, that a kid would want to kneel for a national anthem or protests, you know, a, 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 a protest where he's just simply walking down the street. Something as simple as putting a patch on your jersey or a name change on an arena for from a, a, a potentially uh, racist person that was from the, you know, back in the day, whatever. If that young man feels that way, he should be allowed to talk about it. And the fan bases that are going crazy on these kids, it's funny to me that we're still allowing some of our young men to still attend these schools. Because like you said, that's only a small amount of time. You still gotta go to school there, you still gotta live there. And, uh, and, and, I'm, not, and I'm not at all against kids choosing big schools or power five schools or whatever, but it's the education of it, that's all and the community that surrounds the campus is behind you. That's the difference that HBCU brings. Yeah, for sure. Couldn't agree with you more, my man. Let's let's hit this next one here. It's about the stand. And I think you know where I'm going to go with this one. But being a black man and being a black head coach carries a huge opportunity of influence. But it also requires us to have real conversations. These are times for us where we can't be quiet. We got to say something. We got to do something. And we're both in that boat right now. You know, me coaching at a predominantly white institution, you know, and you at an HBCU. Still, the call for us to have action and to not be mute is important. I want to go hit this topic because I hit this a lot, you know. And whenever I talk in a large group, I always get this particular coach that will reach out to me. But the common question I get, man, is just, you know, uh, for your white coaches, they ask, Coach, how can I have that type of conversation? You know, when, when Jacob Blake and George Floyd, you and I both know this has been going on. I share with my team during the Rodney King riots. Y'all don't even know who that is. And they, they didn't even know that. But, you know, this is something that's not new. It's just being filmed. It's now in the disclosure of your homes. Mm-hmm. But I want to hit that question just for a coach that is not a black coach. Or I think these are important conversations to have in our homes, mm-hmm. in white family. You know, how, how do you address these things, you know, when you're in that uh, type of spotlight? And you and I could both bounce back and forth on that. Right. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm definitely not naive of the position that I'm in and the torch that I have. Um, and understand that it's important that we do, it the, do the right thing as head coaches so that the, the next guy can have the opportunity to do it as well. So I'm, I'm always thinking about that. And uh, in terms of my guys, man, I, uh, anytime there's, anytime that something goes on in the world, we talk about it, you know, and, and I, I'm very passionate about it when I talk to them. And the, the best part is the listening. And I think that any, any um, white coach uh, that has a team, even, especially if you have a, a predominantly white team, you, you have to have these conversations with them. And they need to be educated on why 
African-Americans feel this way. And the crazy part is that you'll find yourself, if somebody doesn't agree with you, you'll find yourself in an argument fast about the situation. And I think it's very important that you just listen. Listening is the key right now. You know, we, we, we got a generation of kids that are, they're smarter, in a sense, they're smarter than we were because they have more information and they're getting it right away. Um, so listening to them and then having, having an opportunity to articulate how you feel back to them the right way. And if you don't, it is okay to say, you know what, I don't know. And getting somebody on, on the call, on a Zoom, in a room with them that does know. Because it's a very delicate moment for our teams. Because as you can see, the NBA boycotted. <laughs> and the NBA, the NBA, the NBA players boycotted. Let me say that. But the NBA association has been doing everything they can for the NBA players to protest and putting Black Lives Matter on the court and allowing them to wear sh uh, uh, slogans on their jerseys. So, I mean, I don't think the NBA has done anything to, to take away from the players. But my point is, is that even when you're doing everything for them, you still got to listen. You still don't know. You know what I mean? So um, I think, I think it's, just, it's just one of them places where you just got to continue to have conversations and conversations. And then at some point, like Embrace Us, we got to have some action. Yeah, I want to answer that as well, man. I, I think uh, it's obviously a little easier for us to have it based off of personal experience. Um, but I, I think your players want to hear what you feel. They can't just assume, you know, and, and that's where – that's the first way I want to answer that for, for coaches, no matter what your, your racial – uh, demographic is they want to hear what you feel they, they don't they know if they mess up they're going to hear from you in that way but when it comes to rights and equality and things that are going on that are really important that affect everybody they want to really know how you feel you know and I, I think one of the most challenging conversations I had was you know I spoke with our guys this week and just told them like look I don't expect y'all to to know exactly feel from putting the words all together but I'm going to share with y'all how I feel I'm going to share with y'all directly the pain that I feel when I look at what I look at and right. then you know, I told these guys like when I went to college and I'm sure you got that same talk too you know part of my parents sending me off was teaching me how to conduct myself with police yep. so I told all these guys and you know, my, my team, the, the racial divide has kind of shifted from more predominantly white to now we're, I think we're about 75, 70%, maybe 80 now, you know, uh, black, you know, on our team. So as I'm doing this meeting, I'm like, should I just meet with the black players? But I'm like, oh, like everybody needs to hear this. Yeah. These are conversations. As I'm talking to these guys, you know, I'm telling them, educating them on police and, and that is survival mode that I can't rest my head at night assuming that you know what to do when you get pulled over. Yeah. And then I told all those guys, like, it doesn't matter what time of the night it is. Uh, it might take you another phone call to, to get me because I might really be in that deep trance, but, you know, call me. Like, I will be right there. And, and I think it was just one of those calls for, for me from coach to player. You know, it was received like, man, I mean, he kind of took every word out from my heart and in my mind. 
and I know this dude really cares. Uh, and, and I think, you know, from, from my standpoint, it was just like, this is so important, man. And, no doubt. I, it made you, and it made you feel better too, didn't it, Mo? Oh yeah, for sure. And, and, and the thing about it is, um, you said something about making sure you better know how you feel. You are 100% right if you feel the right way. Because there are some coaches that have been on social media, coaches now, prominent coaches that have made comments about how they feel. Well, he shouldn't, he shouldn't have had no knife on him. He should have just listened or he should have. Nah, your players don't want to hear that shit. Excuse my French, but your players don't want to hear that. Okay. And you have to, that's why before you open your mouth, educate yourself with somebody that you trust. And it may be, it may be another, it may be another white guy if you're a white guy. But it may be another black guy that you need to lean on and get his opinion on what you should be talking about to your team or you'll end up in a situation like the NBA and your players walk out on you in practice <laughs> and you'll end up being on Twitter because you made the wrong comment. And guess what? Your heart might be in the right place. But when you say how you feel, you are all right, Mo. You got to tell them how you feel if it's the right way. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And, and the right way is the way of the people that are being oppressed. Mm -hmm. It's not about how you feel. It's about how does the people that are getting oppressed feel? And you need to articulate to them that you understand them. Even if you don't, you better, you better, you better figure it out because these are, the, these are the young men that are, that are putting their life on the line in COVID for you right now, in a pandemic for you. They're, they're playing and putting their bodies on the line for you. So if they feel that way, you're gonna to have to get on their level in this in this situation. You know what I'm saying? So it's it's, it's a delicate slope, man. And and then we, what we do too, man. I, I do a lot of uh, of situational things. Like I'll, I'll come into the I'll, I'll, some days I'll I'll have it pre-planned. They'll know what we're doing. But some days I'll walk in and say, pretend like a police officer and just scream at a player, "Get on the ground! Get on the ground! Get on the ground!" And if the player's like, I said, "You shot! You shot!" And then I said, this is what you should have done. You should have said, yes, sir, on the ground, boom, boom, boom. You know, we, I, I have to do stuff like that with my players. I have to talk to them about what, where you put your wallet when you're getting pulled over. You should put your license in your hands and your hands on the steering wheel while they're, while they're waiting to walk to the car. Don't reach for nothing, because if you reach for something, you can get shot. Like, we literally practice this in, with my players. And this is something that a lot of white coaches have never even thought about practicing with their players or having to tell their children. You know, but these, this is the improv things we have to do to think about. It ain't just about how we're going to get over that screen or how we're going to get through this pick and roll defense. It's about how we're going to be smart when we get pulled over. How do you do it the right way? Cut all the lights on in your car. I want everybody to go to your car when we leave today and figure out how to cut your lights on. Cause some of them say it's automatic. You know what I'm saying? Like some cars are automatic. Well, if you don't open, when you open your door, it's automatic. But what if you can't open your door? Do you know how to cut the lights on in your car? Oh, coach. Well, you better learn because the lights in your car need to be on. And then I would advise y'all to cut your Facebook live on too, or cut a camera on. This is the stuff we got to teach our kids now. Yeah. Mm. Man, Penny, that's, that's crazy, man. Something you hit, I, I want to go on. And man, that's that's you hitting things that I, I didn't even think about. Just doing practically, you know, that I'm like, man, I, I wanna add that, I gotta do that, I wanna do that. But 
you know, I, I think all this stuff, man, is, is recycled, you know, and I think in order to break this cycle, to get it going in another direction, is to start to hit our education systems. You know, you have a, a son that's, that's in school, so he's starting to, maybe not right now, but, uh, you know, bring home materials and things that they're learning and books and all these things. It's crazy to me, bro, that they can be bringing home stuff, the exact same stuff that when we were in school, we were learning. And, and I tell people all the time, it's not a coincidence that Black History Month is the shortest month. And when you go into our public schools, what you're learning is your Martin Luther King. They're going to give you a little sprinkle of some Hank Aaron. They might give you a little bit of Michael Jordan. But they're not hitting on Megar Evers. They're not hitting on, um, you know, really what Mal Malcolm X was all about. And when you grow up, you know, I grew up going, my parents worked extremely hard to get us in predominantly white schools because that was the perception of, you know, that's the best to help you get through where you got to get through. You grow up thinking that, man, there's really nothing about me that's important outside of just hooping and, uh, and entertaining. And I remember just, you know, I remember as a kid reading the book of the diary of the diary of Anne Frank, and I'm sure you heard of it. And part of this uh, assignment was they made us write and apologize to Anne Frank what happened to her. Right. <laughs> you laugh. And the part of it was for us to learn to have, you know, empathy and sympathy for someone that doesn't look like you. Right. And, and I understood it. That's great. I, I understand all of that. There's nothing in these curriculums that are telling these kids, all right, now we need to apologize and write to the slaves that have, that have gone through the things in this country. The slaves that, that have basically built this country in a lot of ways, if you go back to history. And man, I, I just think, again, you know, we got to do a better job and change these education systems because we're just bringing in the same watered down stuff and it's not really helping these kids learn the right. of this country. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna take it even a step further for you, Mo. I'm gonna ask you a question. And I just want you to be honest with me. Yeah. Who's your favorite, who was your favorite uh, uh, wrestler growing up? The Rock. The Rock, okay. Who was your favorite superhero growing up? Mm. I'm gonna go Spider-Man. Spider-Man, all right. Um, I assume you grew up in the church. Yep. And you, you worship, do you worship Jesus Christ? Okay, uh, um, did you celebrate Christmas? Yep. And Christmas was Santa Claus, right? Yep. Um, in Greek mythology, the most powerful person was Zeus, yep. right? Mm -hmm. um, ultimately, even in the, we leave the classroom and we went back home for entertainment or church or holidays, we were still the most important person was always a white person. Your favorite wrestler was probably gonna be a white guy. Your favorite, um, your favorite superhero, Batman, you said Spider-Man. Batman, Superman, Spider-Man, anybody man was probably a white guy. Your favorite, uh, your, your favorite, I mean, even when you, the funnest part to me growing up in, in school was like the Greek mythology stuff. Cause it was like basically a movie, like the X-Men, you know, cause them guys had superpowers. All those guys were white guys. So subconsciously, you were, we were growing up thinking that 
basically all the most important people in the president, even the president of the United States was a white guy. So we, we've always been kind of taught that that was our history. That was the most important people. That was the strong people. That was the smart people. And the only people that we, that we grew up worshiping that were special to us were that were black were athletes yep. or, or rappers or celebrities, you know, maybe Denzel Washington or something like that. So for, for me, like I, I, tell, I tell my guys all the time, like, like as your coach, I understand that it's hard because a lot of the black athletes that we deal with haven't had a strong black male presence in their life ever. They've never had to look up to and see somebody that they can count on for sure. It's always going to be there. Not all of them, but a lot of us. And we're going to be like the first constant positive black male in their life, you know, in, in their adult years, in their adolescence years, AAU and all that. A lot of guys run into those guys. But there's a trust factor that's, that's kind of been broken from the person they're supposed to be with every day. Now they're with us every day. They, you're not with your AAU coach every day. You're not with your high school coach every day. You're with us every day, and we're the first time. And so um, I, think that's a, I think that's an important piece of our education, too. That's why the news of Chadwick passing away last night was such a blow for our African-American community because I remember when my son was five years old and I took him to watch Black Panther. Anytime I take him to the movies, he's just like this. It don't matter what movie it is. Right. I remember going to watch Black Panther and him sitting on the edge of his seat. <laughs> And looking up, and and I remember looking at him and tapping my wife like, look, look at, look at, look at him, and he was seeing a black superhero in a predominantly black continent of Wakanda, and they weren't slaves, they weren't chopping chains, they weren't. I mean, they weren't picking cotton, they weren't being hung up like in one of them Twelve Years of Slave movies. They were doctors and putting people together and working with vibranium, you know, all this. I mean, these guys are brilliant. It, 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 the, the, the place was beautiful and vibrant. And he was the hero. And he was smart and well-spoken. And that was the first time in my life that I saw it. But to see my son not have to be, and I'm not saying we were brainwashed, but he was able to see an equality for, for a change it was able to be equal because now he has a Spider-Man toy and he's got a Black Panther. And to see, for him to pass away, man, that was a tough moment for me last, last night because we just lost a hero of our generation. You know, somebody that our kids can look to, our kids, not our, you know, our, our college students, our children to look to and say, you know, wow, you know, you can kind of, kind of attain to be that. And now when they get older, you have a, a more, of a, a love and respect for your for your race, you know. You know, I know it's kind of a I kind of I know it's kind of a complicated, and it's very deep. You know, I could get deeper than what I'm going, but you have a better respect for for who you are. Yeah, no, I I, I tweeted something out, just my thoughts. I'm, I'm, I said that that part of the black community died last night when when Chadwick, you know, rested his eyes and went home uh, mm -hmm. because of what you just said, man. I I just think about how cool it is you have a son, you know, my daughter's 
uh, about to be a year old, so she's not old enough to process that type of stuff yet. But, you know, just seeing kid, little kids, man, with a Black Panther doll, man, was just so, it was so cool because, you know, just growing up, you didn't have those options. And he was a superhero, man. I remember just our community going to the movies and you had people wearing uh, traditional African garb. You had, you know, people at 60, 70 years old crying uh, just because of the, the the history in this movie breaking the norm of what we've always seen. So, yeah, you know, that was definitely a tough one. And uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head as far as his impact uh, on this on this earth. So, well, this last one here, man, is identity. You know, I'm going to share something personally for, for me. You know, when your routine gets broken, your identity gets shaken. And, you know, I'm very routine-based, 6 a.m., workouts, read my word, you know, do all these different things to kind of get myself going before I, I like to say, give myself away, you know, to the program, uh, to my family, all those things. And, uh, you know, for the first time in our, our lives, that's been taken away. You know, you couldn't, I'm not sure about your campus, but we couldn't just come into the office. You know, we couldn't just go into the gym and, and go work out. You know, you're not just able to go to the store uh, like like you were before when, when this five months of this kind of hit. Uh, my, my identity, man, was what I learned is my identity has just been so much in the game of basketball and it's helped so much. But there's so many things I was missing. Mm -hmm. And during this time, as the world slowed down, I was really able to just sit and enjoy things in our lives that I probably would have missed if that wouldn't have happened. I would have been so much more, let's get in the car, let's go see this recruit, let's go do this, let's go do that. You know, where our world slowing down, you know, helped me just be able to enjoy my family, being able to enjoy seeing my daughter grow up. So I wanna hit this identity piece and, and uh, you know, I, maybe we can go back and forth on this, but mental health because of this, I feel is spiked at the highest rate right now. Um, and I'm just curious, just maybe you're bringing some things with your program, uh, you know, to share on this, you know, maybe you want to give a personal stance on this, but, you know, just shedding light on this very difficult and hard topic. And we coach guys, so they, they're not going to tell you anything. You got to really peel back some layers to get in there and really find out what's going on. But, you know, just curious on, on sharing what you're, what you're doing with this. Yeah, I mean, the, the pandemic has really, changed a lot and made you it makes you think uh it makes you just kind of wonder what's next you know you feel like you basically in a foxhole with no flashlight right now you don't see the end and that's how I felt as a coach so I can only imagine how the players feel you know we're giving them dates to when they're supposed to come back and you call them a week later and say hey now nah, it's getting pushed back again it's getting pushed back again and you really just don't don't know even even right now as we're practicing Right now, as of today, you know, we're supposed to start on time November 10th, but we all know we're not going to start on time, but you're working as if you are. So it is hard. And, uh, you know, guys are not, they're not supposed to be partying and going out and, and experiencing the city. And um, so, you know, you get in that whole, once you get in your room, you're in your room and, you know, you get that cabin fever. So we, we have a lot of conversations with our guys. We try to occupy their day. Uh, hopefully they're so tired when they get home, they just want to go to sleep. But uh, we, we actually have a character coach, and his name is Delvin Pikes, uh, that he meets with our guys 
Um, he had he just officially met our guys for the first time yesterday, but uh, he he comes to every practice uh, and he's always around. And then uh, we did we did a workshop with a guy named Jason Wells once uh, every two weeks for about no excuse me we did it once a week for five straight weeks and then we're going to start them back up in se after September after Labor Day so um, those Zoom calls have helped tremendously just to open their eyes and then you know what I found too is the players are kind of like our children too you know they'll they'll only tell your kids only tell you so much you know I'm on a call with them and I'm talking to them and I think I got them where I need them. Jason gets on the call and he's getting more stuff out of them than I could get out of them. You know, I'm like, dang, fellas, y'all could have told me that. But, you know, they, they don't want to tell you. You know, they, it, it's easier to talk to somebody else sometimes. So bringing in outside people that you trust, that you trust to be with your program, I think that's good, too, because, you know, they'll, they'll end up opening up a little bit more to them than they will to you. Yeah, no, nah, that's so true. And I laugh because we have a guy that's done the same thing and they're saying things. And I'm like, y'all could have told me that. <laughs> but uh, I think one of the most impactful things we can do, and I think one of the most impactful things you learn in your life is who you are. Yeah. And I think we have more time to pour into that glass in their life than ever before. And, mm -hmm. you know, as you were speaking on just different Zoom calls and things that you're doing with your guys, you know, what it really made me think about is just being a better listener. You know, so as we're doing these Zoom calls, I don't want to lead it. Like, I don't want to talk because you guys hear my voice a lot. So I believe it's a great opportunity to use assistant coaches. Let those guys speak. You talk Absolutely. about your character coach coming in. You know, I think the most powerful thing we can do is allow other people. Now, I'm not saying give them the steering wheel and let them drive the other direction. But right. other people come into our programs and, and hold the steering wheel. Um, I think as leaders, we, we want to hold it at all times, especially being young coaches. You've been a head coach before, so I would imagine you're probably pretty good at this. But, you know, for, for me, heading into this year, it's like you got to give other people the opportunity to hold the steering wheel and uh, trust on where it's going because uh, the guys need to hear a different voice at all times. Absolutely. And then, you know, with that, with that guy that you're bringing in, you got to have a relationship with them. You know, it can't be just, oh, I know I heard of a good guy. Oh, yeah. Are you free Tuesday? Let him go. Now, he needs to understand what you are, what your fabric is, um, what your identity is, what kind of person you are. And so they can have a better understanding of what they're talking about to their kids because they need to echo. It needs to echo you. You know, there, there's some verbiage that is like non-negotiable that they need to be able to echo. And that's why I like our character coach because he comes to, you know, if we got five practices, he'll be at three of them. You know, he's in, the, he's in the circle at the end of practice. Uh, he hears the sermons. He hears the, the, the sermons that the coaches give, you know, so that when he's talking to them, he can, he can echo. Hey, yesterday in practice, you remember when your head was down, coach was talking? That's what we're talking. You know what I mean? He can have those conversations. And I think it just goes a long way when you have a real authentic uh, relationship with people. Yeah, yeah. And I think those sessions are good because uh, the last call I was on, I actually met Jason for the first time. You know, we were sharing – I was sharing, he was sharing something that he does. And I was like, yeah, I just did that with my team. And really the, the identity piece is you're trying to get these guys to tear down these walls. So it becomes less about me and more about we. Right. What every program is about. Everybody's got all this stuff on the wall. I know you see mine. At the end of the day, that's, that's what we're trying to do. You know, where the individual is taken out of 
the team and it becomes more about the program. And what that really is teaching these guys is, you know, when you get home, right, like I'm sure you are, you get exhausted, but your, your, your son doesn't care. I mean, no. he don't care if your, your battery is, like, I don't, I don't know how your phone is, is, is wired, but I got the percentage on mine. So yeah. he don't care if you at 32%. You, spill, you still supposed to be at 100 no matter what. <laughs> I think it's so important as coaches as we dive into our identities not to give the people we say we really care about our leftovers. You know, like you can be on 32% internally, but they can't see that physically and through your actions. You still got to give that 100 because they're counting on you to produce. And that's what we're teaching these guys. You know, you probably have the same conversations I'm having where a guy talks to you about playing time. He wants to compare what he's doing to someone else. We're not talking about anybody else. We're talking about you. You know, so what are you doing? Uh, you know, you're just trying to get these guys to understand the identity piece and really that in order to be successful, it's about being selfless. It's less about you and more about others. So, you know, wanted to hit that as well as we close. I didn't know if you had anything else. No, nah, that was it, man. You sound like me. You sound like you've been one of my <laughs> – that's why I'm smiling because, I mean, I, I've, I've been echoing everything you've been saying. We've been having those same conversations. And I do feel like – I really feel like well, when you get home from work, boy, and your kids want to play, and you're like, man, I left the house before you, and I'm coming home after you. You know I'm tired. But guess what? They don't care. And that's why I feel like God made us men because – he give us that extra level, take it to another level. When you get home, hey, find that, find that reserve tank and give it to your children because they deserve it, you know. And uh, I like that point that you made about, you know, showing having you really on thirty percent, but you can't, you can't show it on the outside. So I, I like, I think that's really good, man. But I really enjoyed the conversation today, man. I, I really appreciate appreciate you having it. Oh, for sure, man. It starts with that self talk. You know, I ask people all the time, you you talk to yourself. And they're like, no, I don't. I was like, you just talk to yourself. So you can't say you don't talk to yourself. So if we do it without even knowing, you might as well start to create habits of talking to yourself. So knowing before you get into that door, like this is what it's going to be, but I got to push through. You know, this is an opportunity where I can rebound for my son. Or for me, uh, my daughter learned how to crawl. So she want to grab me and try to grab other things. So this is an opportunity where she can develop in that area. So, okay, you know, nobody cares about the office. I feel 32 physically, but I can't give 32 today. Absolutely. Yep, yep, for sure. Yeah. Well, let's hit – this is my last segment here, man, and I feel like we've been so serious, stern, empowering. Uh, so I kind of want to have some fun with this, man. It's one of my favorite kind of parts of this show. So it's called Rapid Fire. Uh, you know, for you, I kind of made this specially for you, so you got to stay with me before you answer these questions here. But – I'm going on a trip to Nashville, Tennessee. By the way, I've never been been to Memphis, but I've never been to Nashville. So got to scratch that out the bucket list now that I got someone to go visit. Gotcha. Then, uh, I'm going to Nashville, Tennessee. We're coming to watch your squad play. You know, maybe we're coming to watch you play EKU. B-E-K-U, okay? We're coming in the day before, coming with my family. Uh, I want you to give me a good food spot a good hangout spot with my family and then we're coming the day before. So, you know, there's a game on, maybe the Grizzlies or somebody are going. So we want to be able to watch the game, you know, give me a good food spot, good hangout spot, and then a good sporting, uh, sporting event spot to watch the game. Good environment. All right. So a good food spot, I would tell you to go to Slim and Husky's pizza, which it's basically it's homemade pizza right in front of you. 
Um, you can get whatever you want from uh, red sauce to white Parmesan sauce. I get it mixed every time, white and red. Uh, you can get spinach sauce, then you can get any. Go ahead. What does that taste like? Because I never had that. Is that White and red, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. But you got they got they got any kind of meat you want from pepperoni, sausage, chicken. They even got shrimp, uh, crab meat. I mean, they got everything you can think of. Any kind of meat that you want. They make it homemade right in front of you. Put it through the cook. Uh, put it through the stove. It comes out, and then they got sauces too. So. You can have a different sauce of like ranch, barbecue sauce, honey mustard, a lot of different sauces. They got about 10 sauces. And so it's a great family spot. They were on like Good Morning, Good Morning America for number one pizza in the country. And it's, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a group from uh, a Tennessee State alumni group, a group uh, of young men, three young men that made the, made the spot. So I would say go to Slim and Huskies to eat, uh, to have a little family night. I would go to... Um, Top golf, and you'll be able to do both there. You'll be able to watch the game. You'll be able to get something to eat. You'll be able to do some top golf, which even if you have kids, they can do the golfing, and you'll you'll have the screens up there to kind of take in whatever game you want to watch the night before we play a game. Hmm. I never had anybody be able to knock that question out with, with one answer. You know, <laughs> with two bones or two birds or one stone on that. I like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool, man. As we wrap up. Uh, you know, I, I can't, I know I said this several times, man. i so thankful to have you on here. I think, uh, you know, I know our relationship has just kind of started on the foundational level, man, but I, I love the things you're doing. Uh, I love speaking with you. I love hearing what you're doing, man. And, and it's a blessing to, to be connected to you. But um, before I give you the last words here, we have some people that love to maybe follow up with you social media wise, see what Tennessee State is doing, uh, but really maybe get an in-depth look on just who you are, what you do. Uh, so do you have social media, Twitter, uh, Instagram? Maybe you can drop that, that handle for us. Yeah, so on Twitter and, and Instagram, I'm Coach Penny one just how it sounds. Uh, Coach Penny one on both of them, and feel free to follow. Got you, and then as always, as we wrap up, man, um, you know, I want to always give the, the guests the last last words as we uh, depart here. I just want to thank you again, man, uh, for having me. I, this is a great talk and stuff that people need to hear. And, you know, I, I just hope that it just inspires one person. We can just get one person to hear and say, you know what, I'm, I'm, I feel a little bit better. I, I know what to do now a little bit more or know how to act or I'm inspired by uh, these, these, these young coaches' stories. Any, anything that can come out of it, just one person, and I feel like we did our job today. Absolutely, man. Well, appreciate you, and uh, we're, we're signing off. Yes, sir. Thank you.